Losing Weight to Gain Control. Today's episode, Escape from Emotional Eating with Jessica Persini. Welcome to today's episode of the Losing Weight to Gain Control podcast. This is Gwen Alexander, your host. And today we have a special guest with us. We have Jessica Persini. And Jessica is on a mission to help high-achieving women heal the roots of their emotional eating so they can use food as fuel rather than a way to cope, soothe, and attempt to escape their busy, stressful life. From over a decade of research and her own personal emotional eating journey, Jessica consciously created her uniquely effective escape from emotional eating process and programs because Overeaters Anonymous didn't resonate with her and the 932 hours she spent in therapy never helped her in her fight with food. Jessica knew there needed to be a different kind of support, one that got to the roots of her emotional eating. So Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Yay, thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, I always like to start with asking the person that's on, you know, what was your journey like to get to where you are now, whether it was you were using food as a way to escape or just cope with life? Where where did you come from and where are you at now? Yeah, so my journey really was about 25 years long. I started emotionally eating as a child, my earliest memory of emotionally eating was from when I was six years old. And pretty much the entire rest of my life, I would use food whenever I felt uncomfortable. So if I was stressed, I would eat. If I was overwhelmed, I would eat. Even if I was overly excited or happy, I would eat. Food was always there for me. It was my safety blanket. It was the first thing that I always turned to. And as I grew up and as I got older, I never really knew that I had or like was an emotional eater. I was always focusing on like nutrition and exercise. So it wasn't um, until probably about like 10 years ago that I really learned that I was, in fact, an emotional eater. And, you know, from that came such clarity because I feel like I could finally treat the problem. Before, when I was just sort of focusing on nutrition and exercise, I was really missing a lot of what was really going on in my relationship with food, why I felt so out of control with it, even though I had so much nutritional information and I was a certified health coach and I was still binge eating. So really learning that I was an emotional eater was very eye-opening and was really the beginning of, of my journey. And then from there, I really like in my bio, I spent years and years and years in therapy and it never touched the roots of my emotional eating. Um, and it wasn't until 
I really investigated every single nook and cranny of my relationship with food and was persistent on finding the roots of why I had these patterns with food. When I discovered the four roots of emotional eating and focused fully and completely on healing those roots, that's when everything changed. Now it's been almost five years since I have emotionally eaten in any capacity. I don't think about food all the time anymore. Food is a very simple thing. I eat when I'm hungry, I stop when I'm full, and I move on. And I was able to really reclaim a lot of that time, energy, brain space that was once wrapped up in my relationship with food, I was able to like reclaim that and channel it, channel it into things like my business, into helping other women heal their relationship with food, and even really understand like how to take really good care of myself. So all of that is what really led me to create Escape from Emotional Eating and my year-long programs and the body of work that I have been been doing for the last 10 years. Wow. If you don't mind me asking, you said you you were six years old when you started Mm -hmm. using food as a way to cover your feelings. Uh, Do you remember, was there something that set you off? Like I said, if it's something that you really don't want to talk about, I mean, just let me know. Oh, I'll talk. (laughs) But I didn't know if something happened. I don't know. Somebody said you look like you're getting fat, which I know a lot of people go through that where a family member will say, well, you're getting kind of chunky there. And then sometimes that's the catalyst that they're like, oh, I shouldn't eat or I want to eat. But you know, my uncle, whoever said I'm fat. Did you Mm -hmm. have something like that happen? I definitely had um, experiences like the one that you shared throughout my life. Uh, However, the vivid memory of when I was six years old, really the, the energy and emotion that was present in that experience was one of boredom. I was at a neighbor's house with my older brother and they were playing video games. Um, and I was like the little sister, you know, just sort of like watching them play video games. And I remember sneaking upstairs into the kitchen and dragging a chair over to the counter and pulling the cookie jar over to the edge of the counter and putting my hand in there and eating every single one of those chocolate chip with the M&M kind of cookies. I remember eating every single one in the cookie jar and putting the lid back on and the chair back and going back downstairs as if nothing had ever happened. Um, And that memory, you know, while it like the experience of what I was experiencing in that moment was a sense of boredom it doesn't, it isn't truly telling to all of the ways that I use food after that. So for example, like, uh, when I got older, because I had this pattern with food and just using it whenever I didn't want to feel what I was feeling, when I, when I got into an abusive relationship and didn't know how to cope with the aftermath of that and, you know, seeking justice for that and things like that, food was a method of safety for me. It was a way that I could feel a sense of safety. 
So while in that moment, you know, as a child, it really came from boredom, there are so many ways that I used it um, beyond that period that really, you know, when it comes to our relationship with food, it can feel like this tangled mess. It can feel like I call it like a hairy hairball. Like there's so many intricacies to it. Um, And it's the thing that I love about this work. And it's also the thing that can feel like really overwhelming when we don't really know what's truly going on. I was just telling you, and I did share on my Instagram that I just finished a book called Food Food Addicts. And that Mm -hmm. was one of the things that the author talked about was when we use food as a way to deal with things. Most people don't realize that's what they're doing. It's it's because, you know, food's always there. It's something mm-hmm. you have to have. You don't realize, oh, I ate that, I ate those cookies in the cookie jar because I just didn't want to feel the boredom I was feeling. Or, you know, like right. you said, you were getting out of a relationship that wasn't good. You don't want to have to deal with with those emotions. You mentioned your four roots that trigger emotional eating. Do you mind if we talk about that? Sure. Let's okay. Go. <laughs> yeah. So what's the what's the four? Which one you want to start with? So, so I will share that there is a video on my website that goes in depth to what the four roots of emotional eating are, how they tend to show up in our lives, and then even um, what to do as a next step. And, and everyone can receive that video at my website at escapefromemotionaleating.com. Um, to avoid being redundant with that video and, and what we're going to talk about here, what I I guess one of the roots that is most common for most people is fear. So a lot of people will say, oh, I eat when I'm stressed or I eat when I'm anxious. But when we actually look at those eating situations and drill it down to the root of what is going on, I would say 99% of the time when you're eating when you're stressed or you're eating when you're anxious, what is really going on at the root of that is that there is something that you are afraid of. So when we get clear on these roots and what roots are activated for for you or for my clients, then we have an easier time um, identifying the pathway to healing. As I was sharing, like the the roots, you know, in our relationship with food can feel very complex and very complicated. And in highlighting and discovering these four roots, it starts to highlight common patterns. And that's really where these roots came from was doing this work uh, with other people and also walking through this journey of healing myself and seeing that there are patterns. Um, There are so many similar patterns, not only between people, but the repetitiveness that we have in our own relationship with food that when I put it all together, I could see like, wow, it really boils down to just these four things, which was really like that gave me such a sense of hope, you know, going through this journey myself because I was like, wow, maybe this isn't as complicated as I thought it was in the first place. Yeah, I think we try to, we make it complicated because we don't take the time to sit and look at it because it's scary. You don't want to look at those, like you said, fear. I'm afraid if I acknowledge those feelings that that somehow 
makes it even worse. I went I went through that several years ago where I realized that I was eating my feelings of loneliness. I was eating my feelings of rejection. And once I started dealing with each situation, it's amazing how I didn't eat the way, eat my way through things. So I always tell people that it's really not as bad as what you think. If you identify it, there's probably only three things or four that you're really dealing with, but you think it's a bunch in your head. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And you do you you said you coach other women you help, you coach high achieving women on um you know to help help them see their situations too. Do you yes. notice with them like if there's a common thread um, when you talk to them because it's not always just about the food you know it's it's there's usually something else it's just the food the symptom. Do you notice a theme common theme among the women that you help that seems to be prevalent? Yeah. So what I'll say I'll go even as far as to say like. The food is just the surface, but when we really get into it, it really has nothing to do with food. Food is just, you know, the thing that we're using, but it's not really feeding what we're really hungry for. So in also my work with the four roots and identifying the roots, they are tied to our emotional hunger. Um, So there are also four emotional food groups, as I like to call them. Um, So when we identify the root, we can also identify what the person is really hungry for. And there are four emotional food groups. That is love, safety, a sense of belonging, and happiness. And when I say love, I don't necessarily mean a relationship. What I mean is like the energy of love, like compassion, like even like a lot of my work is also based in A Course in Miracles. So in that psychological retraining, it really is about shifting from fear to love. So when I say love, I mean it in that capacity. So again, from this like research and work that I've done, like these are the the common threads is that we can just really drill it down to what people are doing, what is the unhealthy coping mechanism that is the root, and then it, and then what are they really hungry for? So a lot of the women that I work with, because they are high achieving, high performing, it tends to bounce between need for safety and a sense of control, and also like being self-compassionate. So the other root is self-loathing and the emotional need for that is uh, happiness. So how do we create a sense of happiness within ourselves, within our lives, especially when we have so much on our plate? Yes. I think sometimes when people see somebody who probably has it all together, sometimes the food is like the one part of their life they don't have together. So it's almost embarrassing for them to say, you know what, I, I, I don't know how to handle how to handle this, or they don't reach out yeah. for help, because that should be something that they should be able to control. Exactly, exactly. One thing I wanted to ask you also, do you help them with trying to choose an eating plan? Or is it mostly you help them? No, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, for those of you that don't don't see the video, she's shaking her head. No, you know, and I find that that doesn't help because if I just give you an eating plan that doesn't, like you said, take care of the root of the what's going on in your life. But do you find that some of the women you help have certain trigger foods? Have they said, well, every time I, 
I feel this way. I want to eat chocolate or I want to eat the potato chips or cookies. Do you usually tell them, you know what, don't eat it? Or do you try to help them to say, okay, we're going to figure out how to get control over that food instead of saying, you know, you need to leave it alone? So let me go back a second and expand on why I don't give people an eating plan and then we'll revisit trigger foods. A large reason that I don't give someone an eating plan or even an exercise plan, even though I have years of training and experience and certification in that is because again, it's sort of the surface. And a lot of the women that I work with are health coaches themselves. They are nutritionists, they're therapists, they've they know what they should be eating. That's not the problem. The problem is that they're not following through and um, they're using food in that self-destructive way. So while a lot of people in health and wellness will start looking at food in the work that I do, we actually start building emotional fitness. So this is about becoming emotionally literate, understanding what you're feeling, how to work with your energy, how to change your energy. That's actually where we begin. So when it comes to what to eat, I'm always telling my clients, go deeper, look underneath that experience because it's never really about what to eat. If we are, if I do give someone a eating plan, all I'm doing is feeding their perfectionism and this illusion that if we just eat the right way, then we will get the peace and freedom that we want in our relationship with food. But that is the biggest illusion. It doesn't exist because our bodies are always changing and evolving and we're always eating differently. So then going back to your question about trigger foods, this is something that I actually really want to clarify when it comes to our relationship with food, because the thing that is triggering is not the specific food, but it is the association, oftentimes unconscious, that's going on in our mind. So let me give you an example. I used to have this thing with granola, a seemingly healthy food, but when I would eat it, I could literally go through a bag of it in a matter of seconds to the point where I stopped buying it (laughs) because I couldn't keep it in my house and, and then even tried switching to like an even healthier version made by these women who went to the same nutrition school that I did, because I thought if I just ate a healthier version, then then I would have some semblance of control over my relationship with food. And that was not true. So, so this thing with granola, like totally one of my trigger foods. And so I stopped buying it and I started on my healing journey to heal my relationship with food. And it was probably about a year ago that I was in the grocery store and I crossed paths with that granola again. And now they have more flavors. I was like, oh, hello, old friend. Like, I remember you. I used to be able to eat you like so quickly. So I actually bought a bag and I brought it home. And I was having like all of these like flashbacks and memories of all of the 
compulsive experiences I was having with this granola. And I, I poured myself a bowl and I ate it and, you know, I just moved on because at that point I had already been free from emotional eating for probably four years. Um, and a couple of weeks later, my husband was cleaning out the pantry and he pulls out the granola and he's like, I'm throwing this out because it has mold on it. And I was like having this moment of like, wow, like I really not only have come such a long way, but this, this thing about like how we have to avoid certain foods is such a myth because it's not the food that has power over us. It's that we've given our power to food. And so much of the healing process is about reclaiming that and recognizing that no matter what's in front of us, uh, no matter what food is around us, we are the ones with the power. We are the ones with the capacity to say yes or to say no. Now, when we're in the emotional eating cycle, we don't feel that way. We don't feel like we have the autonomy to say yes or no. But when we have healed our relationship with food, we definitely feel that we exercise that and we use that repeatedly. I want to thank you for sharing that because I think that the fact that you said it was like about a year ago that you did this, it wasn't like, oh, 15 years ago, I got over that. <laughs> it's it's an ongoing process. It's, it's not something where, yeah, I did it. And now it's it's great. You know, I still have to watch that certain feelings that come up don't trigger me because like you said, it's it's not the food, it's the feeling I remember from the food. Mm -hmm. you know, one example is I was talking to one of my friends about one of the fast food restaurants where I, le I live, and I couldn't even tell you the last time I went there. I'm, literally, it's probably been a few years. And I saw they built something in the drive up. And I asked them, what is that? They said, oh, they just put that in like a year ago. I didn't know because I used to use that food to deal with feelings. And when that right. when I dealt with the feeling, the food didn't give me the same feeling. It sounds weird, but it's just like, I don't want it anymore. And even the few times that I have eaten it, it was, okay, I ate it like you did with the granola. Time to move on. Next, right. next thing, please. Yeah. Another example of this, and I was talking about this last week with one of my clients, is just food associations. So we were talking about, for her, how whenever it comes to watching a movie, watching a movie equals eating yeah. for her. Um, and usually eating like the things that she personally can't eat, like popcorn leaves her mouth like raw. She can't digest it. Like it's just an energy suck for her. And we were talking about how important it is to just recognize that like the association was created in her brain that movies equal eating. But just as much as we've made that association in our brain, we can create new associations as well. Um, and that's where the healing work comes in, in, in untangling from the unhealthy associations and creating new healthy associations so that our relationship with food doesn't feel like such a fight. And it doesn't feel like Oh, I have to avoid that thing or that experience or that person, right? When we try to avoid the things that trigger us, 
we are basically putting ourselves into a box and that's no way to live and it's no way to lead. What I truly believe is is in untangling these experiences so we can really have the freedom and peace that we truly desire in our relationship with food, but also in all aspects of our life. Do you find that when you try to reassociate a different food with a particular action, like with the popcorn, most people think movie and popcorn, a movie and large box of candy, that you say instead of movie and popcorn, you might have movie and popcorn, but it's like half the size with half the butter, or maybe, you know, bring, I don't, I don't even know what's healthier that you can eat if you go into the movies, but I've had some people when I said, hey, I'm having, like I make meatloaf with ground turkey. And I say, mm-hmm. I'm going to have my salad as my side. And they're like, what? You're supposed to have mashed potatoes with, <laughs> with meatloaf. And I'm like, but, I, but who says that you have to have that? But that's just the association that most people have with certain foods. Do you, right. do you find some people are hesitant to that or they're just like, I never thought of that? Yeah, I, I in like um, replacing certain foods to make them healthier, you mean? Yeah. Like um, instead of um, like with the popcorn, you maybe make your own popcorn and like I said, just lightly season it instead of having a stick or two of butter on it. uh, Not so much because again, my work isn't really about like what they're eating, but what I will offer, you know, because I have that association, you know, movies equal eating as well, like back in the day. But now to me, like movies equal a really fuzzy blanket and sparkling water and, you know, something that I'm going to be really excited to watch. Or if you're going to watch it with a special someone, you know, you're going to get to spend some time with them. Yeah. Something non-food related. Yeah, I will say I know we're in COVID time, so people aren't really going to the movies, but I do bring my own blanket to the movies when we would go to them. I have this little travel blanket because like now like movies equal like cozy blankets and curling up on the couch and reclining and things like that. But I will say for someone who is starting just making that change from a full tub of popcorn to maybe a smaller or even getting a different snack or something that is like the very very beginning right because even just that action of changing what you are eating gives you on an un- in an unconscious way the realization of oh i have room to make choice here And choice is not something that we feel like we can make when we are dealing with compulsion. So even saying like, I'm going to eat something differently, or for me, it would be, you know, instead of having the big tub of popcorn, I'm going to try to do something differently, like my fuzzy blanket and sparkling water, whatever. That can be enough of a win to create some forward movement on the pathway to transformation. But I will say it's not the end all be all because we have to heal what's really going on at the root. We have to like get into that deeper work that really doesn't have anything to do with the popcorn, but really has to do with, you know, why they're looking to escape with the popcorn. Um, One thing I want to ask you, this is more like a self-care question for you. What type of uh, self-care things that you start doing that that wasn't food related? Because you have, you know, like you said, you get to the root of uh, what's bothering you and why you're eating. 
So what kind of things did you start to do for you that took the place of the eating to help you? Because, you know, we still need to be able to deal with things that are happening in our lives. Yeah. So I would say the number one thing that got created was energy management, learning how to work with process, digest my emotions is the number one thing that came into my life through this process of healing and also still remains a number one priority in my life through this process. I do consider it a self-care practice. It's like a non-negotiable. And, you know, when I talk about energy management, there are tools that I created uh, through my journey, like the fear flush and digesting emotions. And, and these are tools and processes that I teach my clients. Um, but they were ways for me to work through whatever I was experiencing without turning to food. You know, turning to food was a way that I could get my mind to shut up. I could process what I was feeling when I was eating or not process what I was feeling. And where a lot of these tools and practices really took the place of, of that behavior. So much so that it is like the core of what I teach in, in all of my programs. And just like we have to physically move our bodies to have like a healthy physical body, I believe that we also must have a capacity for emotional fitness as well to be emotionally resilient, emotionally healthy, to let go of the emotions that are not serving us and really support us in creating emotions that are serving us. You know, I really see it almost as like being in the emotional gym, so to speak. That by far has been always my number one practice. It's almost like I don't put it into the category of self-care sometimes because it's sort of one of those things that I do sort of like brushing my teeth. Um, it's just one of those things that I do every single day where like self-care, when I think about self-care is like a bit more luxurious, <laughs> yeah. but either way, they're both taking care of me. So I would say what it really boils down to out of all the things is really learning how to manage my energy, change my emotions, and let go of what's no longer serving me. I love that term emotional fitness. You know, you're going to the emotional gym today because I think that is 99.9% .9 of the work. Like for me, my, one of my self-care things that's non-negotiable is usually when I get home at the end of the day, I don't turn on any TV. I don't turn on any, I just like to sit. It's like my way of just taking everything out of my mind, trying to, you know, just see, okay, is there anything I, I need to address? You know, and let's, let's not just go sit and start eating and then I don't think about it. And then I go to bed and it's like, what just happened? I don't know what just happened. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people can't sit and be alone like that. But that's just yeah. one of my things. I love to do that. Yeah, I could not sit and be alone with myself when I was an emotional eater. I just always felt like I wanted to crawl out of my skin. Um, yes. So props to the people like yourself who, who can do that. It was definitely a skill I had to acquire. <laughs> and, you know, just speaks to how much unprocessed stuff I was carrying around all the time. 
I think because of the COVID situation right now, that happened to a lot of people, especially in March and April when everything was shutting down. A lot of people were posting like on social media. I think I just, I'm, I'm gaining the COVID-15, you know, because everybody was baking and making all these rich foods because they didn't know how to stop and be alone right. with themselves. I mean, not that I'm, this has been a great situation, but one of the positive things I guess I've seen is more people are stopping and looking at their lives and do I want to go back to what I had before or what changes do I need to make? Even with the health and wellness, um, a lot of people are focusing on their physical health, but also mm-hmm. their emotional health because they realize that, you know, wow, I need to really take care of me right now. Yeah. What kind of uh, physical activity do you do, exercises? Do you like to do like walking, uh, yoga, things like that? What's your favorite type of exercises? My favorite, honestly, is anything that happens outdoors. So I live in a city where I feel like, um, so I live in Center City, Philadelphia, and I feel like living in a city, I have just an exponential appreciation for nature. (laughs) So usually anything that is outside, so that's usually for me walking. Um, I love, love, love to walk. Also, I really love to dance. Pre-COVID and even in the beginning of COVID, um, I was taking an adult ballet class. Um, I've since let go of that though, because I did not feel comfortable going back into the studio when they reopened, but I have found uh, dancing through other like online avenues and videos and things like that. But I would say I, I am not the kind of person who like can move stationary, stationarily, like, like everyone's on a Peloton these days. I'm probably the only one that doesn't have one. I do not like to be like stuck like that. You like to be moving. Yeah. Like my body really feels best when she's moving and moving usually in like very non-traditional ways. So I'm not a runner. I will never be a runner. I always feel like I'm dying when I'm running. So walking is my game, but but I really do love to dance because it allows me a way to express myself, a way to express myself that doesn't need words put to it. It doesn't need my head involved. Like I can just really allow my body to move and really allow my body to take the lead. And I would say that kind of movement is the most freeing. Now I will say though, my relationship with movement was not always that way. When I was emotionally eating, movement became something that I had to do because I had to work off whatever I ate the night before. And movement became in some ways an addiction as much as my relationship with food became an addiction. Because if I was, you know, eating, I had to be working out. And there was so much fear wrapped up in my relationship with movement. I pushed myself to extremes. I really burnt myself out. There was even a period of time where I decided to become a fitness instructor because I thought that would be the way that I could finally get control over, you know, my relationship with food and my body. 
And it was a fast path to burnout. Um, And I really learned so much from that and recognizing how to allow myself to rest, how to say I'm full, you know, with food and, and to be in such a healthier relationship with both food and exercise now where I feel a lot of freedom. I get a lot of joy just from going for a walk where before I would never let myself walk because I'd be like a walk. Well, that's not going to be enough. That's not going to get up my heart rate enough. That's not going to burn enough calories. Look at what you ate last night, Jessica. Like that was the thinking that I was going through back then. And where now I'm like, yes, let me take a walk. I'll go for as long as I want. I'll come home when I want. And that's really like the freedom I now experience with it. That goes with the emotional fitness. You're not exercising just because you think you have to burn a certain amount of calories. So it's not a have to, you do it because you want to. Um, Right. I got, I had a chance to ride my bike yesterday because actually it's snowing where I live today in Illinois. Oh my gosh. I know. I was thinking, really? But yesterday I had my chance to ride my bike. I rode it four miles and and I almost started crying because I, I have asthma too. And uh, September was a very bad month because things are growing. Where I live, there's cornfields. And so I wasn't able to really go outside much. So it just felt so good. I wasn't trying to ride as fast as I could, you know, trying to figure out. I just wanted to ride. It was so nice. So yeah. I, I think people forget that you should, you know, enjoy the physical activity that you're doing. Yeah, so- just like we deserve to enjoy food. But when there's so much attached to it, right, like whether it's movement or food, when we put so much emotional attachment to it, it robs us of the true joy that we do deserve to receive from whatever we're experiencing. Well, Jessica, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. I I think it's an encouragement to the listeners. It's an encouragement to me to know I'm on the right path, I think. Uh, but before we leave, I'd like to ask you to leave some words of encouragement for the listeners and also let them know where they can find you on social media or your websites. Yeah. So you can find me at escapefromemotionaleating.com. You can get all my social handles there and that free video about the four roots that are triggering your emotional eating and discovering which one is going on for you. Um, but what I'll leave everyone with is that we need you. We need all of you. Now more than ever, you know, emotional eating robs you of your power. Now is a time to reclaim it. Emotional eating robs you of your voice. Now is a time to speak up. Emotional eating robs you of your energy. Now is a time to really reclaim it. And I really believe that we need all of you now, especially the part that emotional eating steals. Thank you. Those are some great words to leave the listeners with. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. The views of any guest on the podcast are their own. The host of this podcast is not a medical doctor, nurse, or health professional. You should consult with your doctor, nurse, or health professional before you begin any weight loss or maintenance or exercise program.